Good to see you guys and good to be with you and worship with you. And 20 verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then I'd love to, um, maybe when we get done, Jenny, could you run back and, and bring all the kids in and they'll worship the last two songs with us when we're done. Sometimes I forget to send someone to go release the little ones and we can worship together as a family a little bit more. But uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, a preacher named Ralston wrote, this is one of the richest descriptions of the work of a Christian minister to be found in the New Testament. So I definitely was gleaning from it this uh, today as I studied. And those of you that want to be servants of the Lord, it's a good place for you to glean as well. As uh, verse 1 says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we'd suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So last week we went over the history of Paul's second missionary journey and uh, beginning in Acts chapter 16. And that's very helpful as we even read this chapter and the next because he's going to be hinting to things that if you were there, you'd totally know what he was talking about. And even if you just read the account, and if you were here last week, you'd be able to say, you know, I, I, get, I get what he's referring to. And so basically what had happened was Paul and Silas went on Paul's second missionary journey. They were together after the splitting up of Paul and Barnabas. Remember the conflict they had about taking John Mark with them? And, uh, and that's what caused the split of direction. And so Paul went with Silas, or Silvanius, as he's called in this book. And he's also a co-author with Paul of this book. Uh, and so they went, and remember they were backed up against the ocean because the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go uh, east, wouldn't let them go southwest, wouldn't let them go north. They'd already come from the direct south. And so they were you know, pushed up against the ocean at Troas, where Paul had a dream of a Macedonian man or a European man saying, come over here and preach the gospel to us. And so it says they determined that the Lord had them go to Macedonia. So they hopped on a boat, went to Macedonia, and started right off the bat in Philippi, where they met Lydia, and she was a seller of purple scarlet and was a part of a women's prayer meeting you know, down by the river. And, uh, and these women, the Lord opened up their heart to receive the gospel. So they're kind of the first converts there, at least Lydia specifically, there in Philippi. Uh, then as they're preaching the gospel, uh, this, this woman who was a, or a girl who was uh, demon-possessed and brought fortune tellers a lot of money began following Paul and uh, Silas around shouting out, you know, these guys are servants of the Most High God Jesus. Come check them out. And it was like, you know, the Lord doesn't need help from demons in his public relations business. So, uh, and, and it says that Paul was greatly annoyed and frustrated. And he just turned around and he cast the demon out. The girl was freed, but the men who owned her lost all their money in her fortune telling. And so, uh, so they, they caused a, a, a ruckus and had Paul cast into prison with Silas where they were beaten and uh, severely beaten with rods and imprisoned. And you guys know that they, they worshipped and they praised. And the, the whole prison heard them singing. And uh, kind of reminds me of if you've seen the movie Insanity of God and the Russian who for 17 years as he was persecuted for the testimony of Jesus would 
pray his heart song and, and sing it out in the prison every day for 17 years. And then when he was finally being let off to be uh, killed, uh, it's, a, it's, a more of, it's a much greater story than this, but as he was being let off to be martyred, the whole prison began singing his heart song, and then they ended up letting him go. You know? And so uh, thinking of just, hey, if you ever get in prison, uh, start singing worship to the Lord. It's very powerful. And in this case, the prison, uh, there was a great earthquake, and the prison gates opened up, and, uh, and the jailkeeper who figured everyone escaped was about to kill himself and fall on his sword. And, and Paul said, you know, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And then the jailer said, well, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And so kind of the first main converts in Europe are uh, Lydia, a woman who sold, who sold purple, uh, you know, the demon-possessed girl who was freed, you know, assuming she went on to be a follower of Jesus, and then uh, the jailer in his household. And that uh, kind of uh, was the point where uh, Paul was escorted out of Philippi, and he went over to Thessalonica. And that's where we're at. In, uh, that's, uh, this book is addressed to the Thessalonians. And uh, as we read last week in chapter 17, there in Salonica or Thessalonica, um, Paul was preaching the gospel for three Sabbath days. And the Jews heard him preaching the gospel. And they caused, uh, after some believed, the main uh, group of Jews there, began persecuting um, Paul, and, uh, and he ended up fleeing and leaving out of Thessalonica after a great riot where they went to Jason's house. Maybe Jason was you know, where Paul was staying at the time or something. Somehow Jason, they thought he was involved. And uh, again, I'll mention it. Got to love that name, Jason, you know, especially after reading this. But, and I, knowing you, of course. I mean, that's really where the love comes from, Jay. But um, the, uh, you know, the, that ministry in Thessalonica was really marked with tumult and uproar and trial. And we're going to see that in this chapter and in the next. Uh, and so from there, they went down to um, the uh, Berea in Acts 17.11. Uh, the Bereans, remember, they were um, fair-minded people who received the word with readiness and they didn't just believe anything that Paul said. They tested it according to the word to see if it was so. And a revival happened there in Berea. And then the Jews heard that Paul was down in Berea preaching the gospel, the Jews from Thessalonica. So they chased down after him and, uh, and began to cause an uproar again. And so he left Berea and uh, while Paul, or well, rather Timothy, and I think Silas as well, stayed there in uh, Thessalonica. Paul went down to Athens, was stirred by the idolatry, preached an incredible gospel message there on Mars Hill to the philosophers, and then he went down to Corinth where he waited just eagerly to hear from Timothy and Silas of what's been happening in Thessalonica. Finally, they come and they give a good report, a wonderful word of what God is doing in Thessalonica. So like immediately from Corinth, Paul pens this letter and so that's helpful to know like um this is the first letter that paul wrote uh and so that's cool to know and to know this history things are going to kind of make sense as we read this so and it helps to know that as we read verse two that he suffered and was spitefully treated at philippi the word spitefully treated 
indicates um, there was an attitude of haughty insolence on the part of the Philippians towards him, the non-believers, that is. And, uh, but despite the troubles, the, ap- uh, the apostles preached boldly. Uh, they dared to keep preaching the gospel with this all speech, the language says. Um, the language here, that they were bold to speak, um, <clears throat> points to feeling completely at home so that words flow freely. It, the, the writer Morris says, this includes being without fear and having complete confidence. Have you ever sensed the Lord wanting you to witness to somebody and, and you just, you're praying and you're just waiting for that moment and, and when you open up your mouth and you kind of cross that threshold of into it's happening now, and you just sense the Holy Spirit upon you, and you just the words are flowing out of your mouth, and you know you almost have an out of body experience in the sense that you're like, I can't believe this is happening right now. The Lord is doing this, and I'm I'm not even afraid. There's courage, there's boldness, and um, you know I've had that happen many times, and you know I'm just longing for that again. You know I'm longing for that in in personal relationships that I have, and. And, you know, and, and of course, you know, the spontaneous moment with the guy at the gas station or whatnot. But um, you always hear me pray for my buddy, Buddy, who lives next door. And today he had me move uh, a chair. You know, I'm studying and our sign's on the door that says, kids are sleeping, please don't disturb, you know. And he comes over, knocks, and I get a dog's bark, and I get up there and miss, you know, he, he's heading back to his house. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get him right now. I'm trying to get my studying done. And the dogs will make a big fuss, you know, and so I just go back down, and after a little while, knock, 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 and the dog, rawr, 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 and do- you know, finally get the kids to sleep, you know, and you're like, ah, and it's, you know, it's my buddy, buddy, and, and uh, he's like, hey, can you come help me move a chair, and it's like, sure, you know, I mean, this is worth a pause in the studying, and go over and help him, and takes me into his garage, and, and has me pull up a chair, you know, he's telling me about a car accident that his wife just got in, and to be honest with you, I mean, this is just, hey, I wish I could say I'm better than this, but... <laughs> You know, I'm just like, I'm always like, is this the time? Is and here I am, I'm, he pulls up a chair in the garage. It's, you know, you might as well cross the leg, you know, and, and <laughs> begin, begin a dialogue with him, uh, especially since he owes me a discussion about Jesus since he's been healed of his cancer. And he said, if I make it through this, you and me need to talk. So just kind of waiting for that, the you and me need to talk thing. And, and of course, I'm like, man, I just have so much to do this afternoon. I can't do this. It was horrible. I wish I could say I'm better than that. But um, keep praying for me and my buddy, Buddy, will you? Because Buddy needs Jesus, and he doesn't have a lot of time. And I, and I want to have that open my mouth, speak boldly in the language here. Of just, you're just at home. You're at home talking about Jesus. You've got nothing to be afraid of. And just as the prophets were to not be afraid of the looks of the men who would who would hate the gospel, just not even afraid. Like, I got nothing to be afraid of. I'm just, I'm telling you about who I love the most in the world. And, um, and to have complete confidence, the language speaks of. Morris also says it's difficult to find one English word that will express both these ideas, having complete confidence and feeling at home. So the translators tend to choose one and leave the other, though here Moffat renders, we took courage and confidence in our God. In the, much, in the midst of much conflict at the end of verse 2. Uh, it's, it's the word used of the contest in an Olympic game. It was essentially what was going on uh, here 
in Philippi, as he's referring to. Verse 3, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. And, and so, again, remember that this is one of the richest descriptions of the work of a Christian minister to be found in the New Testament. And so, you know, just whenever we do something, you know, are we just offering a gimmick here for people? You know, if we do outreach, you know, is this is it some sort of gimmick, you know, or are we peddling the gospel here, as Paul says, I, I wasn't peddling the gospel, you know, or is there any sort of error or uncleanness? And, you know, if it's the gospel we're preaching, there's no error in that. There's no uncleanness in that, nor is there deceit. Verse 4 says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So, you know, we can move forward knowing that we're pe- preaching a true gospel, um, that we are approved, you know, we're, we're, we're in that same ministry that Paul has, not, not apostolic in the sense that we're apostles and the church is built upon the foundation of me and you, you know, but, but rather that we have an, uh, a ministry of, of um, ambassadorship. And we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And that's not everyone can say that. Not everyone that has a cross on their stage can say that. You know, and just grieved as my, my grandpa's, you know, in his final days, weeks, months, and just how the, the TV preachers have deceived him and just have sucked him just into this false gospel that is health, wealth, and prosperity and like no Jesus. And so I'm just, oh gosh, there need to be broken chains in the next couple of weeks of the Spirit. Just in God's mercy, He's letting Grandpa live to 96. You know, if He can make it to the 14th of June, it's His 96th birthday, and, and that the Lord would break chains of just false gospel and deceit and error in His mind and His heart. Those men have not been approved to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 that the Lord had mercy on me and made me trustworthy. He's made me trustworthy with the gospel. As we preach the gospel, just as Paul, as ministers, we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. I was reminded of Galatians 1.10. I don't have a lot of references, so you just have to kind of listen. But Paul said, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Pleasing men versus... Do you think that's relevant today, guys? That pleasing men versus pleasing Christ? It is so relevant. And there is a temptation there every time either I get up at the pulpit or, you know, you're back there teaching kids or what, like to water things down, to tickle ears and fancies and maybe try to grow the church by just, just simmer down, just chill out a little bit, could you? You know, in the last week, I've, I've, uh, I've met with one family that said they're leaving the church and that it just doesn't feel like home. And I'm just like, man... I'm hoping for another conversation where I just say, I don't buy that, <laughs> you know, here's what home is, you know, but, but, you know, I, I sense that there's some underlying heart things about our body that, 
that we're not calling people to easy believism. We're not calling people to the wide road. You know, we're calling people to the narrow road. We're calling people to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Not a popular message. And so there's that, you know, and just two, two different scenarios this week. Just people leaving. And, and then another conversation where Johnny and I are driving to John Day and driving back rather, and, and we're just kind of still working through, you know, the Sabbath, you know, and, and then it's changed to Sunday. And, you know, do we really have to have any, you know, is there any sort of real reverence that should be there? Or come, you know, and, and he wasn't saying one, but it just was a discussion. Let's keep, let's keep, yeah, and this, and think of this scripture. And then, and then Facebook messaging with him, and, and he's like, you know, um, just so thankful that you are preaching the word and causing us to think deeply on the things of God. And, and I was at uh, a carnival visiting with DJ and Brenda and DJ just, he heard about the family leaving and he just said, Rory, I'm telling you this, people are either going to come to our church and they're going to be confronted right away with this is not a game. And they are not going to have their ears tickled. And they're going to they're have one out of two reactions. The Holy Spirit is either going to cause them to embrace this call to discipleship and all-out reckless abandonment of pursuit of Christ and following Him and making His message known and, and really can mean the loss of all things. And it certainly means the open-handedness of all things so that none of it is mine anyways. It's all the Lord's. People are going to just with joy embrace that, that that means with persecutions, that means with the loss of perhaps our even life, or they're going to go the other way and they're just going to say, like, no way, this is not for me. <laughs> and then heard of another situation where someone who, who just kind of exited stage left in our church and just started going to another church just said, you know, we go to this church now because it just feels like a safe place. Like it's just not gonna, it's not gonna, um, you know, it's not gonna push us. It's not gonna challenge us, and it's just a safe zone. And I mean, I guess we're just not the safe zone, guys. <laughs> we're not the safe zone, and and I think that's safe. I think that's safe, and. So I'm certainly not patting myself or anybody else on the back. This is just the grace of the Lord. I mean, how is it that we're, we're just going through the Word and we're just like, seems like Jesus is telling us to like count the cost and like follow Him and, and to love our families less than Jesus. Still love them, but love them less than Jesus. Well, okay, so as, you know, it seems like God's saying, go to the world. It seems like God's saying, what's... Ours is His. You know, it just seems like that's what the Word is saying. And so let's just do that. And uh, it's just by the grace of God that, that we can say like, I think we can say like Paul, not as pleasing men. It doesn't mean there's not the temptation. Because every time I know that I come to a controversial subject, it's like, hmm, how can I? Hmm, maybe just skip this one this week. Or, you know, oh man, how can I just sugarcoat it or soften it up or you know this is a little abrasive for 2017 let's just round the edges off on that and and um and just by god's grace when it's time to get up there and to open up the mouth <clears throat> we we do it it's it's us guys we're a team in this and 
We try to please the Lord who tests our hearts. And You're going to hear a lot from Leon Morris in the next couple of weeks because I've loved him when I had him in Romans. And then uh, I just purchased his commentary today and I was like... (laughs) But he said, in every age, this needs emphasis. For the Christian preacher is always tempted to accommodate his message to the desires of his hearers. Even with the Gospel Family series. When I taught it five years ago, I had a lady say, come on, just tell me what to do. Just give me things to do. That's what I want. I want a list of things to do. And it's like, you know what? The list of things to do, that's not something you can hang your hat on. The Gospel is the, is the model and the motivation and the power behind how to have a healthy and powerful dynamic family and to accomplish the purpose of the family. It's all in the gospel. And then the gospel will lead you by the spirit, whether your wife wants roses or a date night, you know, or whether your husband, you know, wants a back rub or, you know, wants a night out with the guy or whatever, you know, the Holy Spirit does that. Because I'll tell you what, my wife doesn't want flowers. The CPA in her is like, wait a minute, you're going to buy chopped off plants that are just destined to die seems like a waste of money to me whereas other women's are like oh swoon i got flowers you know the spirit's got to lead us give me the practical things to do lord you know silk flowers yes oh don't even get her started on those that's a whole nother she'll she'll go into the silk trade no i'm kidding yeah grandma the topic Amen. Yeah, and think of the soils, you know, and some seed falls on this type and this type, and there's people in our core groups that it just it, it appears right now that, you know, received it with joy, and ah, and then, then the persecutions come, or the trials come, you know, and it withers up, or then the cares of this world choke out. You know, or the or the devil just comes and you know picks it up and takes it away, and you know it's just we need to be prayerful because you know we don't really know like the time frame of has that seed been carried away? Only the Lord knows if that seed's been carried away, and only the Lord knows if if the thorns choked it out for it to just totally be perishing at the moment. But I think prayer can certainly chop away some of those thorns, you know, and shoot the bird in the air and drop the seed again you know i mean we just need to be praying because we go through seasons as a church where there's someone that i'm like they're gone <laughs> it's done and then like oh they're back oh you know and just and and so just we need to be prayerful and 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 i think even just encouraging the core group just you know even like hey we were talking about this again on wednesday night and i just have to say how many of us here are just nodding and offering lip service like they did back in Jesus' day. But when it's rubber meat, and that's just a good, like, 
yeah, maybe, yeah, oh, Lord, help. And then just praying with him, like, you know, for sure. So thank you, Barb, for that. Verse 5, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, kind of like, you know, <laughs> I never buttered you up, uh, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. So there wasn't a flattery in the sense of fair but insincere words, but the language denotes something like cajolery, which is deception by slick eloquence uh, or peddling the gospel, you know, trying to, to sell the cough medicine, you know, or something like that. Um, you know, it, it wasn't that, that Paul wasn't um, just trying to be lightly light on things. He, he certainly wasn't deceptive or slick or even using uh, a pretext for greed. And boy, you can just flip on your TBN and you can see it there. It just doesn't take much discernment. Not every TBN thing, by the way, uh, is bad. I don't mean to just pick on TBN, but you know, you go to those channels and, and it's just, boom. you can just tell by the suit they're wearing most of the time. And then the message begins to back up that there's this, that there's this flattery or, and, you, and you'll listen to the message and it's just this buttering people up and and there's the absence of the word sin and blood and the cross and the need for redemption. And, and instead, it's just this like, hey, I'm just going to like pat you on the back and tell you how awesome you are. And, uh, and you're going to give me money because I'm going to tell you if you plant the seed money, then you're going to get, um, you know, a lot in return. I found out recently that a large portion of an inheritance that was to come my way was... Um, taken down in the 90s to a TV preacher and, and deposited it with hopes of um, redemption uh, or, or riches, and it did not happen. <laughs> and so you know, just hear, you're like, okay, we got robbed, you know, and it's, it's cool. It really is, but you're just like, that dirtbag, <laughs> you know, uh, that peddler of the gospel, you know. I'm talking about the preacher. Uh, Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. And, and you can just tell, just discernment, even the appearance of these guys, that they want glory for themselves, and they're all about their name. They talk about themselves in the third person. Well, Rory never, you know, and Rory was over there. You know, it's like, who is this guy that talks about himself in the third person? Pretty full of himself, that's for sure. Uh, he didn't want glory from men, from Thessalonians, from anybody else. Didn't want it, but did he ended up, did he ended up getting it? <laughs> Yeah, Paul is one of the most famous guys uh, in the world. Um, but it, he never had that as his motivation. Uh, he said, then, if that was the case, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Um, Billy Graham used to say, the minister must be careful to never touch the girls, the gold, or the glory. The three Gs, the girls, the gold, or the glory. And you see Paul emphasizing two of those things, the gold and peddling and with, with means of covetousness and trying to get something from them, and, and the glory, taking the glory from men. If he wanted to, he certainly could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about all the things that really fairly he should have been able to have gotten as just a hard-working guy. You know, he had the right to, uh, to take a wage. He had the right to have a wife. He had the right to... Uh, you know, uh, a, a life and a living. 
um, to refrain from working a side job so that he could do the ministry. Um, But in Corinthians, he says uh, that he didn't take those so that the gospel would be established there. Um, One translation says, we certainly had a right to some honors or we might have made our weight felt like you had apostles among you but we never you would have never known it just humble and servants and just preaching in power the gospel verse 7 but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children gentleness paul tells timothy that a bishop must not quarrel but be gentle to all not someone that's just always on the fight but someone who's just gentle and then tells Timothy, patient. Um, And the language here is, uh, we became babies among you. We became babies among you. This gentle little cooing, you know. And then he he mixes metaphors and it could really mess things up. But he says, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, We were so gentle, we were like gentle little babies. But we were also so tender, we were like mothers who are um, coddling their babies. In fact, Origen and Augustine both translate it, like a nurse among her children talking in baby language. Just think of that. That's how Paul was with the Thessalonians, just kind of a, you know, or whatever, I haven't held a baby in a while, so I don't even remember how to baby talk, but my baby talk is way different than anybody else's baby talk, I'll tell you that. There's a lot of cartoon noises, but verse 8, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had come uh, dear to us. Um, I have this app called Voxer on my phone and um, it's like a walkie-talkie and I just started doing it with Lindsay and today um, today I had the kids talk to her as she was at work. Let's see. I'm sure you'll be able to hear uh, a lot of it, but And then Tatum. Here's Tatum. That's Tatum. So did you hear Lindsay on that last one? Hi, babies. <laughs> so you just hear that like, so, you know, you had the cooing of the baby, you know, and then you've got Lindsay just, hi, my babies, you know, I miss that might have been me. You want to you hear me? It's 1 o'clock. The kids haven't gone to sleep yet. If you want a chance for a nap this afternoon, you better hurry home. That was me. I, I mean, it's rare. When you get the kids to stay till 1, I mean, that's like, you might want to get home. Cause, and it only lasted an hour and a half. It was not good. Okay. Um, so we were so affectionately longing for you. Hi, my babies. I miss you. I'll be home soon. You know, that's just kind of that so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you'd become dear to us. We were, we were well 
pleased and delighted to not only give you the gospel, but our lives. A man named Best wrote, The true missionary is not someone specialized in the delivery of the message, but someone whose whole being completely committed to a message, which demands all is communicated to his hearers. And then Morris went on from him, there is an intensity of expression which is a rebuke to that tepid service that keeps the innermost self to oneself and and is always a cause of ineffectiveness. Then listen to this. Vital Christian service is costly. And so the preacher of the gospel is whole being is completely committed to the message that demands all. And then he realizes that the Christian life is costly. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, For laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Uh, The language here makes it clear that the work that the preachers had done had been hard and fatiguing. And that as we know from Acts 18 and 20 and 2 Thessalonians 3, that Paul was someone who labored in the tent making vocation like a leather worker, hard work. Uh, and he did it to provide for his own needs because he didn't want to be a burden to the people that he was serving. Verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you uh, who believe. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. We were, were devout and just and blameless. Something we look for in ministers. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. So he said, I'm like a baby. I'm like a mother nursing. I'm like a father who exhorts, who urges and just earnestly encourages. I know I always think of exhort. One definition I read for it is like spurring someone on. And you know, and as you ride those horses that just need a little extra love from a spur, you know, uh, they just need a little extra prodding and encouragement. There's just there's the difference between kicking your soft heels against the side of a horse and then kicking some spurs and and boop, you know. And uh, you know, sometimes those fathers do that. They, you know, they oh, let's get going, you know. Um, and but they also comfort and console, and they also charge and testify and insist on. Verse 12, what did he exhort and comfort and charge? That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So, remember the old phrase, nobility obligates. Those who have given, been given the blessing of nobility have obligations to certain responsibilities as nobles, noblemen. Well, in the same sense, we have been called into God's kingdom and glory. And so we have this obligation to walk worthy of it the metaphor walking in the new testament gives the idea of a steady if unspectacular progress you know it's not a sprint you know it's not a leap it's it's a walk progress 
There's nothing static about being a Christian. I like to encourage people, man, look back a year ago. Have you progressed in your relationship with Christ and your spirituality? Are you walking worthy of the kingdom? Look back five years. What's the progression level? Nothing static about being a Christian and just staying in one place. We grow and we, we uh, go higher up and further in in our walk in ministries. And verse 13, we have the uh, Thessalonians' conversions and then the story of the persecution by the Jews. The history we went over will be helpful for this. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So we have the sovereignty of God in the previous verse in that he calls, calls us into his kingdom and glory. Then we have uh, man's response as God is calling. The word of the gospel goes out and man receives the word of God. And they recognize that this isn't the word of men and that's powerless. We went over that last week, but we recognize that it's the word of God um, that, that we hear from them. It's that seed that's sown on good ground. Mark 4.20 says, hears the word and accepts it. It accepts it. You know, for a while I've been critical of the, when people say, I accepted Jesus. Uh, because I guess I think of it as kind of a, well, I guess I'll accept that, you know, versus uh, a receiving, um, you know, not to be too technical, but there was just a while I was critical about just kind of this like, I'll accept it, uh, but but that's not necessarily grounded in too much because uh, here the word accept, when you accept the word as in a soil, the soil there, it conveys the idea of welcoming and that kind of accepting, welcoming. Um, it's the unusual word for the reception of a guest. One man calls it a hospitality word. The message was not only heard and received by the Thessalonians, it was welcomed. And I like that. I like that when thinking of accepting Jesus and accepting the gospel. It's welcoming Jesus. Uh, once we've heard the word of God, we recognize it as not the word of men, but of God. And many of you have gone through our equip school ministry class about the, the Bible and how it's not man-breathed, it's God-breathed. And you can just... Think of 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 and 2 Peter 1.20 and 21. Great scriptures uh, on inspiration and it's the word of God. But also notice that Paul says it effectively works in you who believe. The word of God has a sanctifying power in our lives. And so encourage you guys to be in the word regularly, reading and devouring the word and let it, you know, as you receive it as the word of God, it effectively works in you as you believe upon it. Uh, also, you see their uh, man's role in believing. Verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary or hostile to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So uh, he references uh, Judah 
or, or Israel and how the Jews were persecuting Christians. You see that in the book of Acts. We don't know exactly what Paul's talking about here, though, of something that's happened more recently, you know, in the 50 ADs. But the same thing that the, that the Jewish Christians experienced when, like, Stephen was killed and the Christians persecuting them, the Thessalonians have been experiencing that as their own countrymen persecuted them in the same way. And then he references the Jews who'd been hostile uh, and even in verse 16 forbid them to speak to the Gentiles as Paul was down in Berea uh, preaching. They even followed him down there and, and uh, caused a tumult because uh, they didn't want the Gentiles to be saved. And in that, they filled up the measure of their sins. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 23 as he rebukes the Pharisees, he, that they fill up the measure of the Father's guilt. Uh, they heaped up their sins upon themselves to the limit, one translation is. Or piled sin upon sin. Uh, Philip's translation, I fear they are completing the full tale of their sins. And man, when we start forbidding other people to get saved, um, that's just like, man, it's like the epitome of depravity as the Jews would do, as the Thessalonians would do. Wrapping up the chapter. And uh, Jenny, you want to go ahead and go get the uh, little bambinos? But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, in the language there speaks of we were, we were stripped away from you as orphans. And so it's interesting. He's called himself a baby. He's called himself a nursing mom. He's called himself a father. And then he's essentially saying we were orphaned from you for a short time in presence, though not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire. And he loved these Thessalonians. I mean, he just really loved them. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, and he kind of gets more personal. This isn't Silas or Timothy writing it. Right here, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. We don't really know what what was causing the hindrance, probably some persecution there, maybe physical infirmity, uh, spiritual warfare for sure. For what is our crown or joy, uh, rather, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Um, It's interesting that when you look at the crowns, there's a lot of different things that Christians get crowns for. They speak of a reward um, in the heavens. And it's the word Stephanos, which is kind of the more temporary crown. It's the, the leafy crown that you'd see in the Olympic Games and such. Just uh, was watching Ben Hur, and, and you know he gets that awesome crown after the chariot race. And it's the Stephanos, which is different than the diadem, which is the, um, which is the uh, more of a kingly crown that you would think of. Uh, and then we see the um, the elders when they're glorified in heaven and they have crowns of gold on their heads and as they're worshiping in Revelation 4, they cast crowns before the throne of God. And so, um, you know, I think just one of our just glories and one of our things that we're able to give God praise for even when we are before his throne are just the people that God has brought to be disciples in our ministries. And he says in verse 24, you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. And, you know, that is so true for the minister. It's how the minister sees um, his sheep, uh, the faithful sheep, um, 
you are such a joy. You are such, just such a glory. And, you know, to know that we don't just have a congregation full of pew warmers, but we have people that are Thessalonians here. Um, but here in Prineville, I tell you, for the elders, there's such a joy. And for each other, there's such a joy. I know that you would probably say that of others here. You are our joy. You are our glory. And, uh, you know, after my hard meeting last week, I just, I texted uh, Mark and I just said, man, I am so glad to have a friend like you. Um, you know, just had you in my mind as I was going through a tough meeting and, and uh, you know, and just going to my core group and having my brothers just there, just, you know, lamenting kind of the, the people who are departing and then to just have an incredible discussion about how just, but the Lord's calling us together to keep standing strong and keep living the life of disciples. And so again, something that just you know stuck out to me in this uh, last two chapters from the last two weeks is just the difference between the words of men that have men as their origin and then the word of God and the gospel that it's truly breathed out by God and inspired by God and is profitable and is powerful. You know, Paul said in Corinthians that, you know, if it was the word of men and if wisdom of words, the cross of Christ would be made of no effect, but because it's spiritual and there's power in it, uh, it's, it's dynamic and it's working. And so um, there's just some songs tonight just of the, the word of God and, and some text there. But let's close in worship and some prayer as we're led as we close out, have the families come in. Um, The kids come in to worship with the families. Lord, we thank you for your grace that has called us to be followers of your word and of truth and to walk that narrow road that is not pleasing to men. It speaks the truth in love. It We follow the Jesus who didn't just come for the the wonderful, pleasant things, but he also came to bring a sword among even families because the gospel is an offense and it is foolishness to those who are perishing. We thank you, Lord, that that so many of our departures, they're, they're really not about the things that Paul was worried about, the the flattering of the words or the false gospels, the false testimonies, the covetousness and the scandals, Lord. But it's because of the, the not flattering men and the not, not being willing to just walk the wide road. And we just recognize that as grace, God. Who are we that you've called us to be a part of your kingdom Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in the kingdom of God that you've called us to that is already but not yet. There's so much of your kingdom that is available for us even tonight as we worship you. And and there's so much that we won't be able to be partakers of until we're there in your presence on that day. And so help us, Lord, to walk the narrow road that leads to life and to Flee far from that wide road that leads to destruction. To cling to your word that effectively transforms us.